Hello and welcome to the first ever St Albans Film Guide End of Year Awards. The gang is all here together for the first time. So we have Howard, Tim, Danny, Sam and myself, Chris. And we are here to nominate various films and performances in four different categories. We have Best Film, Best Actor, Best Actress and Biggest Surprise. For a film to be considered for these awards, it must have been released in cinemas or directly onto streaming in the UK within 2021. The aims of these awards isn't necessarily to crown a winner, but have a discussion about all the films and performances which have impressed us in the year. Also, as I'm sure regular listeners to the podcast will be painfully aware, we are not professional critics, and as such have not seen every film released, so we apologise for any films you think are worthy which we fail to mention. Uh, We're also recording this just before the end of the year, it's currently the 19th of June, so that may also cause us to miss a few. Uh, we are going to take turns revealing our nominee, nominees for each category, starting with Best Actress. So, Howard, please reveal your nominee for Best Actress. Sorry, I'm still reeling by the fact that it's the 19th of June. I thought it was the 19th of December, but never mind. <laughs> T- time's um, lost all meaning the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's been that kind of year, really. It does feel it might it could still be June. My nomination for Best Actress uh, could probably a couple of years ago, would also have fitted into Biggest Surprise. But uh, as far as I'm aware, this is her second movie that she has had a, a lot of critical acclaim for. And it's Lady Gaga, would you believe, for House of Gucci. I don't know if anybody else has seen that on the panel, but I was looking forward to that one. It's a Ridley Scott movie. Um, it's got uh, a, an all-star cast, but uh, Lady Gaga really stole it, I think, by getting into character for about 18 months to play Patrizia Reggiani, who was married to a Gucci and hired a hitman to kill him. And I think she kind of stole the movie. So I'm going to put her up there as the uh, nominee for Best Actress for me. I've, I've not personally seen this one yet, um, but she is, I do know she is one of the f- like favourites now, sort of to be uh, certainly Oscar nominated and quite possibly to win it uh, when it comes around. Has anyone else seen it? No. Not yet, no. I haven't. Well, that's just oh, killed well, that, isn't recommended. it? <laughs> Good supporting cast as well. You got Jeremy Irons in it, Al Pacino's in it, um, Adam Driver, I think, is in it. And anything that Ridley Scott directs is always worth seeing. So um, catch up with it when you can. Yeah, she does seem to be quite the force of nature, doesn't she, Lady Gaga? And you know, it's not exactly she's not exactly the first one to have to have had a career that's taken this particular trajectory. You know, somebody like Barbara Streisand springs to mind as well as someone who dominated both music and and acting. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it does seem like, and not also both starred in *The Star Is Born*, of course. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it does seem like Lady Gaga really does have, you know, what it takes to be be a very sort of commanding leading lady and someone who might be uh, known as one of one of her greatest actors of of the year, as much as she, the way that she's dominated the music industry. And she certainly didn't seem to be daunted by her fellow cast members, you know, most of whom are very big names. Yeah, yeah. I remember when she was cast in American Horror Story and for, for Ryan Murphy, and the role wasn't just a small one, you know, it was a really kind of powerful, dominant, main villain role, and she just had that absolute magnetic charisma, and you needed a lot for the role she played, you know. Uh, she was, And you could already see A Star is Born, literally, you know. It was, she was great. Yeah. So that that was a bit before Star is Born, was it? Mm. I think that was the first thing I ever saw her in acting. Um, it was kind of a big thing she was going to be doing American Horror Story, and I thought she might just be a cameo, but she was. She had a really big part in it, and she was like held the held the series together threadwise. And she was it was just a really magnetic performance. Well, there you go. We have our first nominee, uh, Lady Gaga, by Howard uh, Danny. Could you uh, reveal your nominee for Best Actress? 
Right. Okay. Well, the thing is, you see, I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't have one. I had three. Uh, okay. And, but but um, I sort of thought that I might throw the names out there, and I reckon that through a discussion that that, that there might well be a, a front runner because I haven't got an awful lot to say on each one of them. But there's a good chance that you've all seen at least one performance by each of these people. So my my three in no particular order. The first one is Thomasin McKenzie who has been in two standout films that I've seen this year, one being Last Night in Soho, uh, where she, she's sort of the lead um, female in that. And the other one is uh, the, the Power of the Dog, where she had a, quite a small role in that, but she was also uh, in, in that film. Uh, but in particular, in, in uh, Last Night in Soho, she really was great. And I'd not seen her in anything before. She, she seems... I, I don't know exactly how old she is, but she she's a very young English actress. Uh, might, maybe she's early 20s, but... Um, uh, she she just seemed to have this kind of quiet, um, I don't know, like presence about her. There was quite a, a, a charisma um, in in her performances, particularly in Last Night in Soho. I I, I really want to see Last Night in Soho, and I, I missed it because it wasn't on for very long on general release. But um, I did see her in Power of the Dog, and I, I back you up on that. She has a definite presence, one for the future, and all that. So yeah, she she was very good in that. Okay, she she, she was also um, in Jojo Rabbit. Um, she was a young Jewish woman that was being hidden in Jojo Rabbit. And she was also in a third film that came out this year, which was old, M. Night Shyamalan's old. Uh, and I also want to correct you. Uh, clearly, such so so good is her acting and her accent that she's actually from New Zealand. She's not an English actress. They kind of count. <laughs> yeah, at one point it was all the same. Um, anyway. So we've got Thomas and McKenzie. Who's your second? Oh, yeah. Uh... So, so then the, the other one... Uh, is uh, now now she got she got the best actress Oscar this year for this part, but uh, Frances McDormand I thought uh, particularly in Nomadland. Uh, I think Frances McDormand, whatever she does, which is largely you know it's largely with her husband, and I don't know how she gets those parts. I did that joke on the film guide last week, and it didn't work then either. But um, but yeah, she um, she she's good in in anything I've ever seen her in, and and in in Nomadland she she you forgot she was an actor. Yeah, the, the the way it was done, and I I, I kind of think that you couldn't say much more about an actor than than like when you don't even realise they're acting anymore; they're just sort of being. And and, and I thought that she she gave such a, a a fantastic performance in that film. But the, and then the other person I want to mention was uh, somebody that I never had heard of before. Uh, I never came across any of her work, but was Gemma Chan in The Eternals. Uh, I thought I don't know I don't know Sam's just had a convulsion there for some reason I'm not sure what no, that was it was me no Sam, well, <laughs> well you made Sam's head move a certain way oh, then. Sorry. <laughs> oh sorry she's in uh in the Channel 4 series Humans yes yes yeah, I, I, she's very good in Humans and I thought yeah. she was good in uh, the Marvel one too yeah mm. I, I just suddenly I don't know there was something about her performance in it I, I felt she she held that film together so well yeah Eternals as um, you know, on the whole, I think it was a pretty good movie, but it was somewhat, somewhat mixed. I think uh, you know, bits of it were really good and bits less so. But she was consistent throughout it, and she carried a big budget, big action, spectacular movie, and and did it so well. And 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 I thought, you know, wow. And 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 yeah, to, to my shame, I wasn't aware of humans or of her acclaimed performance in it before. Her second time in the Marvel Universe as well. She played. She was in Indeed. Captain Marvel as well. Well, I don't remember in the in that. So she Not must be rubbish the then. Part. But she's got better. So well done. <laughs> she was blue in that, so uh, looked a bit different. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, but th- those were, were 
the three that I would put forward. Um, having having talked those through, have you are you any closer to deciding what might be the one you want to go for? Or? If I had to choose one, I think it would be Gemma Chan. If if okay. if I had to choose one of those three, and I think um, I would have done probably before, but yeah, although the other two, I think, very notable mentions. I'm I'm gonna we're, we're gonna pick Gemma Chan. We're gonna hold you to that. Um, and Sam, uh, who is your best actress? <laughs> All right, so Danny, you thought three was too many, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, please make me feel better. I might have narrowed down to to seven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I mean, I can just. Uh, uh, yeah I can just list them off I guess and I've been looking at my list like which one do I pick but they're all so good for different reasons um so Aubrey Plaza uh she was in a movie called Black Bear this year um known for Parks and Rec um and you know many many other things uh Rachel Senot in a movie called Shiver Baby who which you may or may not have heard of um I think I don't know, not not exactly a big release movie, but uh she was really good in that. Uh Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. Um and the dig as well, wasn't she? Yeah. She wasn't the dig. Haven't seen that though, I'm afraid. No. That was very good. Didn't see that one. Um uh, Kristen Wig <laughs> uh for her dual role in Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. That's a film that might be making a recurring appearance. Anyone in this, catch that in, one? <laughs> in Sam's lists, by the way. Uh, Kate Beckinsale. Uh, she was in a movie called Jolt. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, really good. Yeah, uh, and she absolutely. Well, she absolutely. I thought she really did amazing as a as an action star. Um, so. Uh, yeah, and then I've got Ros- uh, Rosamund Pike in I Care a Lot, which was like she was brutal in that movie. And finally, but not least, I know that's the exact phrase, uh, the correct way of phrasing it. Uh, we have Neve Algar in a movie uh, in a movie called Censor, which is a little British horror. Uh, fantastic. So. so out of those seven that you... It's impossible <laughs> to pick. This is why I was saying. I mean, that, I think... was, that was the idea of this. Uh... Yeah, I know. I think like... <laughs> I guess, like maybe, if I had to, if I, if if I was re- if I really had to pick, you do have to. Uh, okay, <laughs> fine. I I really enjoyed Kate Beckinsale in Jolt. I would. Oh, say. a left field choice. Yeah, why not? But all the all the above notable mentions. <laughs> I thought she was really good, and I don't want to get shot down for this, but I am going to say it anyway because I'm brave. But I did sort of think to myself, she was really, really good, and if ever Charlize Theron is unwell, she could stand in quite quite capably. I felt like her, like what she did in Jolt was what I've seen Charlize Theron do in a couple of like actiony films. But it's nice to have an assortment of female like um, action heroes, you know, that that and, and doing it their own way because it wasn't it wasn't in any way like a carbon copy of of what other um, action heroes had done before. She did it. She gave it her own style. But it did remind me there, and I couldn't think of the film itself. But there was a Charlize Theron film I saw. That it did remind me of it might have been Atomic Blonde, mm. probably Atomic Blonde. Yeah, yeah, that had a similar energy. Yeah, because Jolt as a film is, is is like fine, but I think it's largely carried by Kate Beckinsale and the sort of energy she brings to it and the sort of charisma and you know if it had someone lesser in it, it would probably not have registered it anyway. I don't think as a film, but I, I like that as a left field choice. Uh, Tim. 
can we have your your twenty actress? list of twenty? I'm sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. I was like, yeah, I was like that. Um, it was so hard. I've been thinking about it all week. Um, so I've got some honourable mentions. They're not the winners, but the honourable mentions. So Tilda Swinton for the human voice, Almodovar's human voice, um, and also for her supporting role in The French Dispatch, which was just brilliant. Peak, peak Swinton. Um, Florence Pugh in Black Widow, um, who's now joined in the Marvel Universe mm. in, in another way. Yes. I'm not going to spoil it if people haven't caught up with what I'm talking about, but um, uh, she's just brilliant. I mean, Florence Pugh, Midsummer, you know, a few years ago, is just a meteoric star, and um, she just can do anything. And she, so as Yelena, she had everything. She was vulnerable. She was tough. She was just brilliant. And and again, coming back to what Danny said about that, you know, that really kind of making it a very um, kind of female take on action and not trying to copy anything else. I, I loved it. Um, but then anyway, so I narrowed it down to two. <laughs> um, so Frances McDormand for Nomadland. Um, and I know she won the Oscar for it, but I completely agree with Danny. She was utterly lost in that performance, as in Frances McDormand was lost. You couldn't find her. It was just Fern. She, the character was playing Fern. And she was, and I, and when I, think about performances of the year I think what kind of films have haunted me and what roles have haunted me all year not necessarily scared me but you know haunted me and she just haunted me her character not that she was a figure of pity she was far from it but absolutely haunting um, performance Uh, but also and then that was equaled in the last few weeks by Kristen Stewart as Spencer as Princess Diana in Spencer and Kristen Stewart I can't I won't hear a word against I just think she's an exceptional actor and um she that was such a difficult role i mean talk about talk about brave taking on an iconic role like that and other people have tried and you know and because of the film maybe not the actor not really pulled it off but it was a really really good film and she was just again haunting in it and and what you know especially for an american actor as well to take on on that role it was brave and and she pulled it off completely so that that would be my two france mcdormand and kristen stewart so yeah, so equal there in your mind. I'm uh, I've seen Nomadland and, and uh, yes, echo once again that Francis McDormand is excellent. I haven't seen Stuart. I'm afraid. Has anyone else seen Stuart? Spencer. 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 Sorry. Sorry. No, but I know, I know the ending. But I won't worry about anyone. <laughs> Pr- um, Prince Philip did it. Okay. We might have to run that past our lawyers. Um, no, he's dead. Although, You're fine now. I was about to say, can't libel the dead. So, um, yeah, he did that and Kennedy. He did a twofer. Um, anyway, uh, so it's, it's my turn to pick uh, my choice. And actually, it's it's mine is one of the uh, seven that uh, Sam has already mentioned. Uh, so I went for um, Aubrey Plaza in a little film called Black Bear, which is a, a little independent, American independent movie. Um, and it is a very, it's a very strange little film with a very small cast. It's split into several parts. You don't quite know what's going on. She plays this, um, this film director who's going, you know, staying at this remote cabin hosted by two people that own this cabin. And she's gone there to get inspiration and do some writing and things start going off the rails. And, as Sam mentioned, Aubrey Plaza is well known for things like Parks and Rec and primarily being a comedic actress, but she really showed a lot of range and sort of vulnerability and sort of, she's still funny, but you know, it's scary and um, just, you know, emotional, but also, yeah, just weird, which is something that she excels in as well. Um, And 
it's uh, a film I would very much recommend people seeing because for I, like Tim mentioned about films being sort of haunting, you spend the weeks after sort of going, what did it all mean? <laughs> and you're all just sort of left pondering. It's one of these films that sticks with you. You're left pondering what it was all really about and could it be this or could it be that? So uh, Aubrey Plaza in Black Bear. So that is our um, nominees for Best Actress. We've got the roundup Lady Gaga, uh, Gemma Chan, Kate Beckinsale, uh, joint Francis McDormand and Kristen Stewart, and Aubrey Plaza. So we're going to move on to Best Actor now. And I think we'll start with Tim this time. Uh, so, Tim, could we have Hello your again. Best Actor? Yeah, sure. Um, so, honourable mentions. Um, Ray Fiennes for The Dig, playing Basil Brown. Again, just so, such... A, I love it when actors are cast different differently from how we would expect to see him. He always plays very kind of well-spoken, very kind of intense characters and he had a quiet intensity in this but he was very playing this very kind of working class kind of humble man and he was just wonderful in it well newsflash ray finds is, is superb um and i would also give an honorable mention to um coming back to the eternals i would give richard madden as icarus i thought he was brilliant and again as Je Gemma chan i agree with danny certainly held that movie and um but he did as well and he was played quite a complex character and I thought he brought that across. It, it was it was great. But anyway, um, no one will be surprised if they listen to me on the podcast. Um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen for Candyman, um, who I just thought was... That was nearly going into my surprise category, but it wasn't a surprise because <laughs> I think he's... I rave about him regularly, but he, he had a lot to do in that film. He was... I don't want to spoil anything, so everyone should see it, but um, this is the Candyman reboot from this year. But, um, you know, he was kind of... Uh, you know, he was he was playing protagonist, antagonist. I'm, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but you know, he was he was doing a lot, and he was carrying a lot of parts in that film. And and you know, and you never knew quite where you were with him with the audience. And again, haunted by that performance. So yeah, that's for me. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, I I haven't seen the new Candyman this year. We watched uh, Sam and I uh, watched the original Candyman. So the you know Tony Todd in back in the day which i thoroughly enjoyed the sequels like i described it as sort of like and this isn't this isn't a bad description the sequels like an essay or kind of a thought process about the first film but brilliant really entertaining but it's a kind of rumination on the first one almost it's so interesting really interesting well wonderful so yaya abdul mateen is the first nominee uh danny could you give us uh whatever your shortlist is okay well yeah, so I guess I guess some honourable mentions. Um, the first one I'm going to mention is Daniel Craig. I think for for the Bond, and but I'm not just really thinking of him for this Bond film. I'm thinking of him for all of his Bond films. Um, yeah, he he's the only um, Bond actor to actually get a, a serious nomination at one of the major awards for his portrayal of Bond, because uh, he got nominated for BAFTA for Best Actor for Casino Royale which in itself I think was a, a monumental achievement because none of the other actors who played Bond had ever got a nomination before. Uh, but I just felt that in in No Time to Die, which I think is a little bit... I don't think No Time to Die is anywhere near as good as an awful lot of the critics claimed it was, but I did think it was a fine film. And I, I felt there was a lot, an awful lot in it, and, and, and a lot of it, it worked, and some of it missed slightly. 
But Daniel Craig was a constant throughout it. And I think that in all of the Bond films that he has played, he is so good. You almost forget he's good. You just take it for granted. Well, he's Bond and he's, you know, and, and then you, you look at like, oh, but, but, you know, Javier Bardem was really good. You look at, oh, Judy Dench was great in this one. And you sort of forget. Yeah, but they were all good because of how good Daniel Craig was, you know, as that that linchpin that runs throughout the movie. And I think that No Time to Die was an excellent send off for him. Uh, you know, an, another uh, wonderful performance showing a very three dimensional character in a very two dimensional world that, that you know, that the, the Bond films that they, they they don't really try that hard to be in the real world, but it looks like it could be the real world. It's almost like it's an alternative reality, you know, and, and that life. Yet Daniel Craig has really given he's really put meat on the bones. You know, he, he's, he's showing that, that, that this is how perhaps a real human would be in that situation, you know, and you, and you saw that with the, with, with all the different range of emotions that his character went through in, in that latest movie. Um, so I think he's an honorable mention. Um, <laughs> one of the others, I think that, that I was going to mention this year uh, is Clint Eastwood, who uh, had his latest film coming out at, at the, uh, the young old age of uh, 91, and uh, you know his his latest movie, which he he produced, directed, and starred in, and um, it's not his best movie by by a long shot, but it was a very good um, effort from him. Uh, you know, it, it was very solidly directed, which I don't think he knows it any other way to make a movie. Uh, but but also his portrayal was was quite good. It was quite tender, really. He he, you know, most of it I think worked really well. There's a a lot of the film was about him and a young boy that he was sent to Mexico to bring back for um, for the young boy's father. And and it kind of worked. You know, you really believe that he was this washed up rodeo star that once was somebody, but now he's quite old and decrepit. And he's, you know, a, a, and he's sort of a bit miserable and he, he's not got an awful lot left to live for, but but off he goes and he tries to do this thing. And, and, and you know, he, he was very tender in this movie and, and he had a, this wonderful rapport with the boy that he's, um, bringing back to America so, so I'd give him a mention the one that I think that all of you would probably agree with is is Benedict Cumberbatch and I'm thinking that in particular uh, I saw him in The Courier which I think got a release in this country this year so probably technically counts but it also came out the previous year in other ways so it would be vague but 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 I thought his performance in that was pretty good but his performance in The Power of the Dog was 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 really something else uh, and and that's that's the film that certainly is 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 of the moment because it was released just a few weeks ago on Netflix, uh, and and I wouldn't be at all surprised if that award get if that film gets him a lot of award interest um, with when all the major awards are announced. Well, well, much like the Golden Globes, we're we're known for sort of predicting the Oscars, and also we're all white. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, not anymore. They've gone to fix that now. Okay. They've tried to fix that. Yeah. Oh, that was a that was a whole thing, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so Benedict Cumberbatch. I've not seen The Power of the Dog yet, um, but I have heard such excellent things. Chris, it's your movie. It's a western. <laughs> I thought it was very good, Power of the Dog, and I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was very convincing, um, which is not the kind of role you would have expected him to rock up in. He plays a, a very tough and very uh, authentic American rancher, which is you know you you wouldn't automatically assume that you would head for Benedict Cumberbatch in that role, versatile though he is. So I also saw The Courier that you mentioned, Danny, and uh, I thought that was very good too. Yeah. Well, he was, it was a true, based on a true story of the guy who goes behind the Iron Curtain and helps uh, the Russian um, double agent or our, our agent, effectively, mm. Benkovsky. It was very good. 
and I saw him in Spider-Man and he was brilliant. So there you go. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is good in Spider-Man. Yes. Okay. Have you seen him in anything, Sam, just to finish off? No, I haven't seen any of those movies. So, oh, well. I mean, I've seen him in Sherlock, but that was a bit of a while back now when it went. <laughs> you've, seen him in, you've seen him in other things, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I have, but... He's in everything, so you must have done. <laughs> yeah. Not in 2021, though. He's, he's like a male version of Olivia Coleman. He's in an awful lot of things. You've probably never seen him in something. Yeah. Um, but the, the one that I would pick out as my, my, my favourite one is from a film that I'm guessing... I reckon nine people might have seen this in this country. It had a very small limited release in June this year, but it was a film called um, The Killing of Two Lovers. And the, the the guy who starred in it is Clayne Crawford. And I think he would get my vote this year for best best actor. Um, he was would be known to some audience, some in the audience as as uh, the actor who was in the Lethal Weapon TV series, where he played the character that uh, Mel Gibson played in the movies. And and he did that to, to quite a lot of critical acclaim. And and he wasn't the top billed actor in that series. It was it was um, Damon Wayans who played the uh, Danny Glover part in the movie. And um, yet he stole it. And he showed this new he played this nuanced character that wasn't just all the the crazy zany action that Mel Gibson was, but he also had these layers. And he, he in that tv series it, it really he really brought to life the the mental health struggles of his character and did it in a very sympathetic way and and, and a very real way and, and and that's where i noticed him and became a fan of his work because i thought wow if he can do that i wonder what else he he could do or what else he has done so i'd seen on instagram that he had this film coming up that he was very proud of that was um nominated i think at the sundance festival or it was it was in competition at the sundance festival and it was a really low budget movie called the killing of two lovers and uh and he played this this dad in in that movie and he did it so well um but i won't say more about that for now because that's off that might be coming up a bit later for me as well well i could, all i can say at the moment about it is that it's 84 minutes long according to wikipedia so perfect <laughs> I've reached a point in my life where I'm, I think films really need to deserve to be two hours or more longer. 90 minutes is perfect. If you can't tell a story in 90 minutes, stop trying. I agree. Um, Unless it's got a Marvel logo on the front of it, then it can be as long as it wants. I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, so, Howard, let's have your... Uh, nominee for Best Actor. Yeah, I clearly took the brief far too seriously, didn't I? I've come up with one name again. I thought that's what we were doing. So sorry, uh, don't, for not don't worry. Seven names. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have also gone for Rafe Fines in in Dig, yeah. which I thought was terrific, and um, in full agreement uh, with what was said earlier about the fact that he was cast against type in this. You normally tend to associate Rafe Fines with uh, upper class patrician characters. You know, you think M in Bond, but many other things that he's done. I love the way that he nailed what I think was a, meant to be a Suffolk accent, unless I've got that horribly wrong, but he was a, a working-class lad called Basil Brown who was taught, or kind of self-taught, but taught by his dad how to do digging for archaeological artefacts, and he goes to Carrie Mulligan's house because she summons him there because there is a, um, a the, the Sutton Hoo boat thing that is submerged under a burial mound, and he digs it out, and, it, and he then has to deal with all the class conflict of people coming to try and take over from him because he's not the upper class chap that should really be in charge of all this and it causes a bit of tension. I thought he was really, really good in it. Again, not the kind of man you would automatically assume would be hired, um, cast in a role like that. And uh, I thought he brought dignity. He was understated, quiet, quite sad, quite um, you know, world worldly, if that's the right um, word for it. 
And um, yeah, he's my pick for for best actor. Wonderful. Well, I I commend you for just picking picking one. That was that was the brief. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, and <laughs> no, but but this is where and. <laughs> Now I've I've left Sam and myself to last because we've actually you gone to eleven. For, <laughs> no, we've gone for the same answer for this one, but yeah. it's also multiple people. Uh, so we've gone for an ensemble um, of actors Ooh. in a um, a Danish film called Riders of Justice, um, which the most notable actor in it is uh, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, the most recognisable cool. actor. Um, but there are the four main guys in it um, who are uh, Mads Mikkelsen. I apologise for my Danish pronunciations here, but I'm going to give it a go. Uh, Nikolai Lee Kass, Lars Brungman, and Nicholas Bro. Uh, and basically the, the story is um, Mads Mikkelsen's character, uh, Marcus. He's a, he's a soldier. He's based uh, abroad um, when his... Um, wife and daughter are involved in a train accident and his wife is killed and he has to come back um to look after his daughter and he's very he's emotionally distant he he's a he's a he's a military man um but then he gets approached by uh three guys called Otto Lennart and Emmentaler who believe that the train crash wasn't actually an accident um but actually was an assassination of a gang member and they believe that it was done by a gang called the riders of justice and as a film it's it's a very interesting film because tonally it's all over the place um it's sometimes it's like high farce it's comedy other times it's like action thriller it's really tense um but ultimately it's about these four men who are like they're broken but in different ways um they're emotionally stunted or they've you know uh, socially stunted they've 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 been damaged in some way in their lives and they like come together and they find each other and work together and it sort of make this weird little family and it's it's a very good film like when i said tonally all over the place that's not really a criticism but it's just don't go into it expecting like just yeah like a, it, it kind of presents itself as a thriller but then at the same time, it's kind of like a almost a warm-hearted family drama. Um, and why well, is there anything you want to add, Sam? Because yes, this is what our choice was the uh, the four main actors from Riders of Justice. Yeah, I mean, you said pretty much everything, really. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's a murder mystery. It's a every, it's everything. It's everything and nothing. <laughs> and and it's sort of yeah, it's, it's these men just dealing dealing with these problems they have and it's all about masculinity and it's about sort of yeah um psychology and learning learning to sort of basically sort of move on and grow and it's yeah it's a very interesting film i think i think it certainly explored you know yeah the the problems and issues that men in our societies around the world western societies i guess face and that aren't uh, addressed in movies very often in the way that this addressed it so Absolutely. You two have completely sold that film to me. I've never heard of it, and I just I, I I want to stop this podcast now and go and watch it. You two have sold that to me so well. Actually, you sold it to me as soon as you said Mads Mikkelsen's in yeah. it. Really, he's watchable in just about everything, isn't he? He's so good. Mm. Yep, he, he, he's so good, and he's he's also he's 
terrifying looking in this because he's got a shaved if you look at a picture he's got his head is completely shaved but he has this massive graying beard and he's this like hard hard nut soldier um who basically just doesn't know how to connect with his daughter and um it had a it had a very short i think cinema release in the uk but what then era basically is it went on to what era now? It's present day. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's present I, day. I once was stood about 40 feet or so from Mads Mikkelsen, <gasps> and he's as terrifying in real life as he is on screen. Um, uh, it was at a convention, and I could see him at a table, and I didn't realise he was behind me, and, and somebody said, oh, he's over there. And I looked over, and, and he looked kind of pleasant and was signing some autographs, and then something happened. <laughs> and he just looked across like 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 oh what's that? But but as he, he did it, you, Danny. he's well he looked in my general direction. It wasn't me, and he he's got no. I don't think he he recounts this story from another side. I'm sure of that. But 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 it was just suddenly his his slight smile, his polite demeanour dropped for a moment when he just said, "What's that?" And and it just looked chilling. And he's got you know I mean I loved Hannibal. And he was so good in that. And and when I heard that that was being made as a TV series, I thought, how on uh, what? Why would you do that? How stupid is that? You know, Anthony Hopkins did this wonderful portrayal of him. Why would you ruin that? Take away from that by by trying to redo it? And then watched a minute or so of Mads Mikkelsen, and then forgot that Anthony Hopkins ever played the part. Uh, and 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 if if there's ever been a film where Mads Mikkelsen's been in it where I've not thought it was so good, I think one of the main reasons is that they haven't used him enough. That, that I think everything he's done, he, you know, he's such a good actor. Um, and I see he's come in, he's going to be in the next Indiana Jones film and he's in the next, uh, is it Fantastic Beasts film? Yeah. You know, it just looked like he's, his star is, is on the, on the rise still, which I'm really pleased for him because he, he's, he's a great actor of his generation. Mm. It's, it, I think it's um, good as well. Though, like I said, this is a Danish film. Like he, he also, he, he regularly works in Denmark again. He hasn't just, yeah gone over to hollywood and now he's purely doing um hollywood stuff he's still making uh, like he was in another round which also came out and was oscar nominated earlier this year so he really he really he, tiptoes yeah. that balance doesn't he between indie and you know and, and big 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 franchise stuff it's a great place for yeah. but to be literally in, between like. indie and indie if you think about it because of his <laughs> next role but uh, well, yeah. that that seems like a perfect segue <laughs> place to stop for the best actor so a roundup uh, we had yaha uh, abdul mateen the second clayne crawford rafe fines and the riders of justice ensemble so part three we're going to go for biggest surprise so this can be a good or a bad thing just something that maybe something maybe you thought oh, i'm not going to enjoy this and you came out thinking it was great or maybe something you thought oh it's going to be the best film of the year and turned out to not be so so let's start well we'll start with sam this time what is your biggest surprise of the year okay well this was a bright shining light in what has been you know a dark 18 to two years you know 18 months to two years um so this was Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which I have already mentioned uh, Kristen Wiig uh, as, you know, one of my best actresses. And uh, so this was this is actually written by the stars, uh, uh, Kristen Wiig and um, Annie Mumolo. And I didn't know anything about this going in. Chris found it. Um, which you know he's he's very good at looking up i'm like oh let's watch a movie i i'm terrible i don't know anything about anything i'm sure you've figured that out from listening to the podcast about movies or science 
I, thanks, Danny. Uh, yeah, I find it quite hard to uh, recognize people. It's a tr- you know, it's a, an affliction. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know names. I don't know faces. It's yeah, it's fun. So when I'm trying to look up stuff about movies, I don't know what what's what's coming out or anything. So Chris has really um, driven our watch list of this year. So thank you to Chris. But go, yeah, I going didn't pay in- her to say that. <laughs> Going into this movie, yeah, I had no idea. I thought, oh, this sounds like a weird movie. You know, it's a, a, quite quite an unusual title. Um, and it and it starts out with uh, a young lad riding his bike, delivering newspapers, singing along to an old uh, power ballad in his headphones, um, having then thrown a, a newspaper onto a, do- a doorstep, heads on back to work to his what appears to be like a, a, a tree house or something goes and then the tree slides open and he goes into a lift down into a secret lair and it all kicks off from there very bizarre thing where you got this sort of classic villain uh play, played by uh Kristen Wiig um and then it cuts to another couple of, of women who are working in a sofa store who are just uh, sort of, you know, in their forties chit chatting at work. Um, and then they end up going on this adventure to Vista del Mar. And it sounds, I don't know what it sounds like to you having not seen it, <laughs> but it's just really fun. And it's colorful. There's songs, there's, villain villains and plans and mishaps and all sorts of things so it sounds brilliant (laughs) (laughs) i've got it recorded from sky actually on my um skybox and and you've totally kicked me into making sure i want i like target audience for that (laughs) yeah it was it, it it's sort of like part like you say there's there's like part sort of 1960s 1970s era bond like villainy austin powers um, yeah and austin powers austin powers type stuff villainy by by the one Kristen wig character and then it's just sort of like road trip sort of um yes. romance uh, with the the others it's also got jamie dornan um from uh 50 shades of gray uh, among other things um, I'm pretty sure he's uh, tipexed that out of his own CV. I'm just going to love you mention that that's what he's known from. I bet that's what's given him the biggest paycheck. The fall. Um, that that might be, you know, the Gillian Anderson Northern Ireland thing. He was yeah. very good in that. I, uh, one of I think I think Fifty Shades is probably going to have the greater cultural impact. Really, um, other than Barb and Star going to Vista del Mar. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a weird, weird, funny, like surreal film. Yeah, it's it's it just was like I said at the beginning, just like it it was just something you get taken out of out of reality into this bizarre world and just go on a trip and it's brilliant. So that was my surprise because I didn't know what to expect, having not heard anything about it pr- prior to clicking play, and yeah, it was just grand. Wonderful. Uh, so let's go with Danny. What was your biggest surprise? That. Um, Sam just had the one. No. Um, <laughs> uh, so 
there is one that 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 is my my winner but but there are two like because you also said about whether this could be like one of the greatest moments uh or, or possibly like one of the most absurd things you've ever seen so i feel like i do have to mention fast and furious nine um because because <laughs> that was that was what i was gonna say actually danny that was on my short list yeah because that's just stupid you know like for start like all the all these people who started out as like drag racers like 20 years ago and and now they're kind of like superheroes super spy type things it's it's the, the series has morphed into something completely different and makes squillions of you know dollars and and and, and loads and loads of people love it and so good luck to all them but um, but the fact that they're now they are now almost literally bulletproof the, the the characters they even make jokes about that how bullets were flying through their clothing but not hitting them and it's just you know that was they, they even make reference to that also physics defying you know that 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 you know the laws of physics have no meaning in in these movies anymore and then the ultimate one was they drove in space at one point yeah. and they actually turned and they indicated and and you know <laughs> and you just it's just, I just. You know, this was originally like a low budget movie about about street racing, and 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 now that's where it's gone to. So so that's like a, you know, a wow moment, I guess. Uh, Also, I mentioned earlier Clint Eastwood's latest movie, Cry Macho. There's a fight scene in it involving a 91 year old Clint Eastwood and a guy who's a third of his age, where Clint knocks him to the floor. Now, I was worried for Clint's fist because I can't (laughs) imagine how many bones might have broken had he really punched a bloke a third of his age because he looked frail in this movie. You know, the guy is 91. He probably shouldn't be doing fight scenes anymore. Uh, And also, in the actual moment, you're sort of bought into it. But a few moments later, you're thinking, now that was just silly. You know, that just wouldn't have happened. The guy would barely have moved in real life and would have probably breathed heavily and knocked Clint over. But but nonetheless, Clint, as the director, decided he was still going to show how macho he is and put in a fight scene. But I think my 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 standout wow in a positive way moment is going to be no time to die. And there's a there's a scene toward the end, and I'm not going to give any spoilers. But if you've seen it, it's the one when where it starts raining grenades uh, in a stairwell, and the whole sequence is in one take. And and that's something that I had seen. So the directors at Carrie Fuji. Kari Joji Fukin, no, I should have looked his name up first, but the director of the movie, um, he had previously did uh, worked on a TV series co- um, called True Detective with Matthew McConaughey and with Woody Harrelson. And in one episode of the first series of that, there was a sequence that lasted for several minutes and it was all in one take. It was one that there appeared to be no cuts and it followed Matthew McConaughey through raiding a stash house and shooting people and, and, and fighting and all this sort of thing. And it was amazing how it was all done seemingly in one take. And the director did the same thing in No Time to Die. And, and I don't know how long the sequence was, but it felt like it was several minutes where you are following Bond up the stairwell. It's raining grenades. He's fighting off various villains and it's all done with seemingly one camera angle. And, and you know, you get a few minutes into it and then you suddenly think this hasn't cut away yet, that this is all being done. And, and I'm sure maybe there were tricks and things to make it appear to be that it was all done in one go, but it, it really was a breathtaking moment, I thought. And uh, so that's my, my best moment of the year. Wonderful. Now I think I'm going to, I'm going to go next. Uh, so my biggest surprise was a positive one. Um, and that is free guy starring Ryan Reynolds, um, which is, I, I picked it for several reasons. One, I, generally enjoyed it it was a, a a fun way to spend a couple of hours but also i think it's interesting because it's a bit of a rarity these days where it's a 
big budget movie based on original IP. It's not it's not an adaptation. It's not a reboot. It's not a you know a sequel. It's not you know based on a comic book or a you know whatever. It was an original story that someone went, yeah, let's spend a hundred million dollars on that, and it's it's a good good fun time, uh, and it was just sort of nice that you don't actually see you know the amount of films you see that are. I mean, I saw Spider Man this morning, thoroughly enjoyed it, but it's just one you know, all the budget big budget movies these days to me seem like they're based on something else or have come from something else. It's nice to see an original movie. Uh, with a bit of money behind it that's not an indie that you have to then go searching for. Uh, so that was my surprise. Uh, Howard, what is your surprise? Okay, well, I went for a, a moment in a movie, and uh, I'm going to try and do this initially without spoilers, although I suppose most people know about this one. But surely, surely the biggest surprise of the year was the ending of No Time to Die, So, which uh, I thought Danny was going to allude to. Um, but then he went for his grenade scene. But uh, again, you know, most people have seen it by now or heard about it by now, but I won't actually go into to detail, but it was a fine send-off for Daniel Craig. Um, Danny covered uh, how good he's been in the movies that he's done for, for Bond. Uh, the five, I think it was five, wasn't it, he did? And I thought it was a, a, a bit of a drop-the-mic moment, but a very good way to end it. And um, I guess if I say any more than that, it would be, you know, spoiler alert galore, because there must be someone somewhere who's uh, not... Si- I haven't seen it. You've not seen it? No. Okay. Well, when he was, you know, um, when it was revealed that he was gay at the end, and, and, he, <laughs> kissed, and he kissed M, and they went off together, I thought it was fabulous. You know? At the end, Ray Fiennes <laughs> travels back in time to the dig, and it's basically a prequel to the dig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was the way that he threw his head back, wasn't it, right at the very end, and he then became Sean Connery, you know, and, and like a lot what of regenerated. life happened. <laughs> yeah, that, that was what I thought was, was, was just, you know, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Oh dear. So yes, so as as there is one member of the panel who has not yet seen that movie, I will stop talking. Well, well but, is it possible? Uh, I mean, Sam, do you know what the ending is? Because it has now been fairly well reported. I mean, Chris told it to me when he got back <laughs> that <laughs> night. But I didn't. Oh, Chris, I'm, crikey! No, no, I made sure to ask. Sam was. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know what divorce proceedings. Surely. <laughs> no, Sam literally asked me straight up. Whether the thing that happens at the end happens, yeah, and I, I was did. like, "Do you want to know?" I did. I did and ask. Said I said, "Yes, I'll." I, I think we're safe to mention it now it, because it was from a while ago, and I'm pretty sure most people would know because I, I read an article just the other day on the Radio Times, which actually had in the headline what the spoiler was. I mean, um, really? I guess if people, I think it's been pretty people, widely well known. If people don't know, like skip forward a minute or something, mm. right? Yes, so skip please. forward. Yeah, Chris, do that thing where you tell people what the time code is so that they could. Yeah, so if you if you don't want to know, skip to the following time code. 51 minutes. Go for it, Howard. Spoil away. James Bond dies. <laughs> I did not see that coming. It was the, that was, was the biggest was, surprise of the decade. It was a groundbreaking moment in cinema, wasn't it, for any generation? Yeah. We've all grown up with Bond of all ages. Every generation has grown up with Bond. And it was one of those, like... This is something I will never see probably again on screen. It's like seeing a superhero yeah. die. It's, it's crazy. And it was brave because, I mean, I, I'm mm. still not entirely sure if I, I loved it or not. But, you know, or, or I could see people in the audience going out thinking, I'm not sure if I loved that or I hated it or whatever. But it was a brave thing to do. And bear in mind that a lot of, a lot of the audience is quite young. 
to take your kid to that and worry that oh you know James Bond's dead you know that's that's quite a thing I thought <laughs> and uh, you know they will just obviously they'll just presumably hire another actor and they'll start like nothing happened and, uh, whoever gets the role will walk in and they'll go ah 007 you're back you know, did you stay long it, enough but... Howard to notice that it did say in the credits James Bond will return didn't say 007 yeah, return do, it they? said yeah, James yeah. Bond will return so that they you know as much as they're acknowledging that it's the end of this bond you know and it because there were lots of speculation i think about whether they would feature you know is, is it yes lashana harris was oh i, I get lashana, lashana lynch lynch who played the the new 007 whether or oh, not yeah. perhaps they carry on with her character or other characters but no they 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 made it very clear that they haven't worked that how yet or in what way but james bond will return so yeah it's a death but it isn't a death i have a feeling it'll be like the nolan batman it will be that will just be a complete and I think they'll recast all those roles, all of them. That's that's my suspicion. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I think that's why they all raised a glass at the end as well. Yes. You know, to, to it toast was their him. It wasn't just toasting yeah. him, it was goodbye to M and Moneypenny and they're Absolutely. all gone now, I think. Because yeah. obviously you know, the the Craig Bonds that Danny mentioned you know earlier, they they've been a series of films. No, Chris, themselves. his name's James Bond, not Craig Bond. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. I'm talking about the the, the indie films, uh, like about his uh, his cousin. He's an accountant. Um, there was no, a there so... was a film in the '60s called Operation Kid Brother that starred yeah. Sean Connery's younger brother playing a spoof Bond what? type character. I don't That's know if he was called Craig Bond, but yeah, check it out on YouTube. Yeah. There's a trailer is there, and they've even got one of the um, villains, the one from Thunderball, I think, is in it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so there was. Check some, it out. I've got a feeling even the guy who played M from the actual Bond series was in it as well. But but yeah, it was called Operation Kid Brother, and it was starring Thomas Connery or whatever Sean Connery's brother's <laughs> called. Oh Good, sorry, Chris, <laughs> but not <laughs> Craig <laughs> Bond. Yeah, no. So the Daniel Craig Bonds. Are actually they're a series with with an overarching storyline, and they they follow from one to another. Mm. Whereas a lot of the other bonds before seem to be just like that's you know some of them had recurring characters obviously, but they were like that's this bond, and they didn't really ever reference anything that happened before. Whereas this is actually he's had a character arc from Casino Royale to No Time to Die, so it's like that's finished now. Yeah, we'll move on. So I, I agree. I, if they recast everyone, if they recast M and Moneypenny and you know whomever, and I wonder if um, I wonder if uh, it was Craig saying, "I definitely want this to happen so that I can't be tempted back when I need money," or you know, and I respect his integrity. I think he's a brilliant actor, but I wonder if he was saying like, "I'm we're definitely having this so that I'm never ever coming back." I, it, given how at one point he was very adamant he wasn't going to do this one either, yeah. I, I, I can only imagine, much like I imagine Harrison Ford said when George Lucas came to him with a big fat checkbook and said, "Will exactly. you do another Star Wars?" It was like, "Yes, but you've got to kill me." You know, exactly. uh, I, I wonder if it's exactly that. Um, I have an Operation Kid Brother update. It was Neil um, <laughs> Neil Connery um, was in it, along with Adolfo Celli, who played um, Largo in Thunderball, uh, as Howard yep, mentioned there. there. Bernard Lee, who was the original M, was in it. Lois Maxwell, who was the original Money Penny, was in it. Um, and lots of other people from the Bond movies were in it. Um, uh, most notably, the Bond girl from from Russia with Love. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a complete cash in on on the original series. I bet it didn't make any cash though. <laughs> <laughs> no, quite possibly. Uh, right. So, Tim, we haven't had yours yet. Well, mine is an un- little-known film called Operation Kid Brother. Um, 
<laughs> That's my biggest surprise ever. <laughs> um, so mine is, this bit is not a surprise to anyone. Mine is a Marvel film. Um, and let me just clarify, it's a good surprise, but obviously I'm not going to go to a Marvel film thinking this isn't going to be good. I go loving them all and knowing I'm going to love them all. But just how much I loved it and what a gem it was, considering how little I knew about the comic book character was was the surprise for me. So it's Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. And just as Sam said about a film that's a ray of sunshine, it was an absolute just 10 out of 10 for me, just two hours of absolute pure joy in the cinema um and i you know and even as a massive comic book head and re- researcher I, I i didn't know much about shang chi you know i can't know about every of the thousands of marvel characters um and and i'd seen the trailer and it looked great and not i don't ever get kind of burnout from marvel ever i could watch it all day but so i wasn't going along thinking oh i'm not looking forward to this i was just going along thinking it'll be just a good enjoyable marvel romp and it was so brilliant and so, and i've heard so many people say that how much they enjoyed it um simu lu was just a bona fide a-list star in the making in that film and then aquafina who is just a joyful in everything she does was that their chemistry was you know when you see good chemistry and it's just effortless doesn't matter how good the script is it's just effortless and it's brilliant. Tony Leung's the villain and, you know, it's a real sense of it's a kind of a Chinese, it's as much a Chinese kind of fantasy film as much as it is a Western Marvel American Hollywood film. Um, and, and it's just, it's just brilliant. Just a pure joy. That's all I've got to say about it. <laughs> I, I will second that. I thoroughly enjoy Shang-Chi as well. Um, and it, like you say, I didn't know anything about the characters and it's been a while since they've done a, they've had to do a, a like a origin story for, mm. Marvel characters, a lot of them have been to you know sequels or whatever, um, and yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's nice to see a bit of um, you know Hong Kong style sort of action, martial arts action into these uh, sorts of things as well. Yeah. Sort of a bit, sort of a bit different. Yeah, and then you had the mythology, you had the you know the Chinese kind of traditional mythology, and then you had the wushu stuff and the color. Like it was, it looked like a Zhang Yimou film in terms of the use of color and the. Oh, it's just beautiful. Um, but also, I think it benefited. Not that the others didn't, but it had just come off the back of something like the event, the ending of the Avengers. You know, twelve-year story or ten-year story, where you do need to know a lot about the characters, which is which is the joy of Marvel. And this one was just a complete. You didn't know need to know any. You could never have seen one Marvel film, and it would have been just as enjoyable. Wonderful. So that's our biggest surprises. Uh, to repeat, that was Barb and Star. Uh, two votes for No Time to Die. Um, slightly different parts of it, but two votes for that. Uh, Free Guy and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Now, the moment we've all been waiting for, our best pictures of the year. Who should we go with? I think we've got to go with Danny first. How many of you narrowed it down to? So I've got six. Um, okay. <laughs> but I was, You've gone for proper Oscar style. I was really hoping that I'd go last because I've got a fairly good feeling that some of these will be mentioned by you guys. So I thought then I could I could then say, oh, I've only got three because you've covered three of them. But I'll go, if you want me to still go first, I'll, I'm happy to go first. Um, go for but it. But I really uh... don't know which one I would pick above the others. Um so uh, first one uh, is No Time to Die, but I don't think I really need to add any more to that than what we've already said. Yeah. I think we've already stated all the reasons why that that should be a contender. Uh, not necessarily sure that that is the best film of the year, but I think it certainly deserves to be one of the contenders for, for that. Um, 
a film we haven't mentioned yet, which which was the first film I think I went to see out of lockdown, was um, A Quiet Place Part Two. And um, so th- that had a resonance for me just because it was the first film I'd seen in a cinema for quite a long time. Um, very, very closely followed by the Fast and Furious film, which I saw a day or two later, which I then was thinking, I'm really glad that wasn't the first film I saw in the cinema after <laughs> all that time. But, but, uh, How dare you? We had fun that day. Oh, no, no, it was fun. For, yeah, yeah, I went with Chris and Sam. It was very fun for different reasons, but not because of what was on the screen. But um, but no, it was, yeah. Anyway, Quiet Place Part 2 I thought was great. Um, Emily Blunt w- was really good. Uh, John Krasinski, I think, has evolved as a director and and what he did with that movie w- was wonderful and the 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 beginning bit of that movie which was which was kind of prequel to the first movie trying to show because in the first movie you're already in this environment whereas at the beginning of the second movie they explain how the environment came to be and, and I, I thought that it was very good and and yeah it, it, it had given that I kind of thought they've done all the surprises now you know in this in this this world they've created in this movie um, I, I didn't know if they had anywhere else to go with it. And I was very pleased that they did, that, that this was also, you know, very good and, and inventive and, and scary as well. I, I, I love horrors, but I don't think there are often very good ones around. So it's nice to see a, a good, well-made horror film. Um, and yeah, uh, Nomadland um, would also be on that list as well. Although, although I almost feel like it shouldn't kind of win as far as we're concerned because it did so well anyway it's already it's already got an Oscar. it's got what it needs but 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 you know a wonderful well shot film it didn't feel like you're watching a movie it, it, it which which i mean is a compliment to it um you know you i didn't feel that we were watching francis mcdormand performing i felt we were watching her character and we were just following her character and and it had that sort of documentary grittiness to it that that was just superb um and also, I mentioned earlier the, the Killing of Two Lovers, which which is a film that was with me for days afterwards. It really haunted me, um, the, and 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 it's it's you can get it somewhere. I think if you've got the BFI player as an add-on to Amazon Prime, you can find this movie. It it, it is not a very well um, circulated film at all. But, but but the story of it was about a guy who's desperately trying to keep his family of six together during a separation from his wife that they um, they agree to see other people. But the guy himself, David, struggles to grapple with his wife's new relationship. And it just shows this this man who's hurting and, and it's set in it's contemporary. It's set in kind of like small town, middle America somewhere. And and it's just haunting. And, and, and the central performance from from Clayne Crawford it really sits with you and and the opening of it was one of the best openings i've seen in a movie in a very long time where uh, the the post of the movie uh, has a woman lying in bed and um you sort of see her head and her shoulders and you can see out of focus a, a person beside her in bed uh, but the focus is on her and that's how the opening shot is that you see her in bed and you can make out a figure behind her but you can't see who it is and then suddenly the camera moves to the door frame and there's the Clayne Crawford's character stood in the door frame with a gun and he's pointing at her head and she's fast asleep and it looks like he's about to blow her brains out and he doesn't but but what happens next and 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 what the the, the and there was no dialogue at all there's no music there's no nothing it just was presented to you and and it it, it grabs you straight away and you're just thinking wow this is like intense and gripping and horrific but you can't look away either because you just want to know what he's going to do and you see everything he's going through without his face even changing much you can just see it in his eyes and 
And so much of this movie was really, really long tracking shots without any cuts at all. And the way that they went from the bedroom out of the house and, and, and he gets into his car and he drives three blocks around to his house and, and, and so much of it was just in one was one camera shot. And, and, and the way that they did that and the choreography that must have been involved in doing some of these really long shots. And it just added to you being in this environment. And, as, and alongside all of that, his six children, the, 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 the um, child actors who by and large I find obnoxious and I really wish that they would just do something with CGI to make adults little people in movies but <laughs> but but in this instance I think they were really good um, and, and very natural performances and, and and it was he was a complex lead character because because what he's doing initially is absolutely horrific where he's contemplating murdering his wife but you really sympathize with him as the movie goes on and you you, you get how conflicted he is and he's just an honest guy and he's trying to do what's right by his family but he's struggling and he doesn't know what to do and and you get all of the things that he's going through and there's not a single moment that's wasted in the movie like every shot is purposeful and every word of dialogue has meaning and you know wonderful wonderful little tiny indie movie that probably costs to make about what an episode of EastEnders costs I'd imagine but you know great example of of like small cinema and uh only two more to go in the list, I believe. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, so last night in Soho would be one of those, which which had this great um, '60s style and vibe to it, uh, because because partly it was set in the '60s, so so that helped somewhat. Um, yeah, it mm. it had a slickness to it and a style that I think the director Edgar Wright uh, brings to his movies. Um, I'm thinking a bit of Baby Driver and how Baby Driver used, um, you know, made good use of the music and the soundtrack. And I think Last Night in Soho does to a slightly lesser extent, but it, it, it the music is is there. And 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 also because you're hearing songs, you think, oh yeah, I remember that song. But you think, hang on, that's not the version I remember. And I think that that's a very intentional thing that's done because the movie is, I think that lends itself a lot to the movie that that it's the 60s, but it's not quite because there's something not quite, write about it all and it keeps flitting between the 60s and present day and 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 yet it does it in a way that doesn't feel a bit hackneyed or time travelly you know it, it it you just sort of you buy into it all um and and uh matt smith is is great i mean he obviously no stranger to time time travelly stuff so you know he knew what he was doing there probably was a consultant on that bit but um but yeah, that it was very, very cool, very slick, and 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 great, um, some great performances, including Diana Rigg in her last role, uh, and she's really good in in a in a small but pivotal role in that movie as well. So a uh, big shout out mm. to her. And the final one that I cannot believe has not yet been mentioned in any way at all is uh, June, which uh, which I saw recently. The um, you know the, the the sort of the remake of the the eighties um, film with the same name based on the sixties sci fi book. But uh, I thought that Denny Villeneuve's uh, vision of that movie was just breathtaking, and uh, you know he 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 did that justice. You know he 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 created this world that that David Lynch I think got right in places, but but I think he did it so much better in this movie, and uh, and everything about it was was really good and deserves to be recognised. You know all, all the way from old Timothy Chalamet in the middle there as 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 the the protagonist who. Who, who gave a wonderful performance, uh, uh, surrounded by some really good actors as well, um, uh, uh, other really good actors, uh, you know, and, and, and yeah, again, um, you know, it's the visuals as much as anything else that, that you really just, you know, it was, you're watching art and, and it's, it's incredible. Well, there you go. Uh, as, as discussing that at all, because you spent a lot of time discussing uh, 
The Killing of Two Lovers. Would that be maybe your choice of a... I think so. I mean, I partly discuss it because I'm pretty sure there's only me and eight others that have seen that film in this country. Um, I actually had, I messaged, I, I did, I put someone on Instagram when I watched it saying how much I enjoyed it. And the actor who starred in it actually messaged back and just said, thanks. So I'm guessing it's had a really small audience <laughs> if, if he's individually thanking people for watching the movie, um, which partly why I spent longer discussing it, because it's a film that I don't think others would have ever come across. Um, sure. But I, no, I can't really choose... I could, I could probably take one or two off of that. I probably would drop A Quiet Place Part 2 if I had to whittle it down. Okay. And I'd probably well, drop we, Nomadland because everyone else has given it like... We've we've narrowed it down to four yeah. then. Well, let's see what... Well, Howard, you you said you were following the brief and so uh, let's yeah. go for one. So I, uh, I've gone for one again um, because <laughs> I was trying to follow the brief. But what I did do um is actually i was going to briefly mention the movies that didn't quite make number one that i enjoyed this year so i did write those down to be fair Hmm. so the ones that i enjoyed included the courier that i think danny mentioned earlier with benedict cumberbatch uh the many saints of newark that was the sopranos prequel i enjoyed that uh house of gucci which i mentioned earlier and dig which i mentioned earlier because of the nominations for the actors and the other ones um i singled out were power of the dog june that Danny just talked about, for the, and for the same reasons he mentioned, and of course, No Time to Die that we've talked a lot about, and Black Widow, which I just thought was enjoyable. However, drum roll, my best film of the year, I'm going to go for Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, which uh, bombed at the box office, but did seem to get very good reviews. Um, it's the kind of movie that I like because uh, I like historical stuff, and this was grittily realistic historical stuff, so it wasn't all looking like um, you know the. The whole place is being cleaned and polished before they they march out of the castle and all this kind of thing. So it was it was gritty and realistic the way it was um, set and shot, the way the scenes were done. Um, the cast included Matt Damon, Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer, with a, a supporting role from Ben Affleck. So it was quite funny seeing Matt Damon and Ben Affleck uh, mm. back on the on the same screen. Um, <laughs> the plot is interesting because it's based on a true story. Now, obviously, it's going back centuries, so we don't know all the facts. But what we do know is that the character that Jodie Comer played. Um, told her husband, who's played by Matt Damon, that Adam Driver's character raped her. And the way Ridley Scott presents the story is to show all three perspectives. So you get Matt Damon's perspective, Adam Driver's perspective, and finally Jodie Comer, the, the woman's perspective, which is subtitled The Truth. Now, in a way, that does matter, but it also doesn't, because because nobody knows who to believe, the French court at the time decide to settle this in the only way that they know how which is to leave it in God's hands. And in doing so, that means that they're going to have a duel between Matt Damon and Adam Driver. And um, the winner is obviously the just party because God would not allow a person to win a duel if he wasn't um, the the just, the one who was telling the truth. And there is a knock-on effect for this because if Adam Driver's character, who's been accused of rape, kills Matt Damon's character, Jodie Comer will be burned at the stake for telling a lie. So, you know, there's a lot at stake at this at this juncture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, I mean, I, I, I knew the outcome. There was a book about it and uh, I'd read up on the film, but I, it didn't disappoint. I thought it was really, really good. I think it was a real shame that it came out just after Bond. So I think it disappeared without trace and people hadn't really quite got used to going back to the cinema at this point either. Um, but yeah, Ridley Scott has done two great movies this year. Um, the Last Duel, which this one, and House of Gucci, which he also directed. So he's also, I guess, my director of the year. It's a good job they don't burn people for lying anymore, isn't it? There'd be nobody left in Parliament. Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh. 
I I believe the last jewel is currently on Disney Plus for anyone that has uh, that subscription. So check it out. Uh, right, let's go for Tim. What is your well, either one or multiple, whoever? You know, <laughs> I did, I did make free myself, it. Yeah, I did make myself choose one because I just thought, you know, otherwise it will, otherwise I will choose so many. So honorable mentions to the dig, which was just fantastic. Um, Spider Man, which I saw yesterday, but is absolutely just joyous. Um, Candy Man again and the, the Eternals are my honourable mentions and then talking of the Eternals my film is Nomadland which are both are directed by Chloe Zhao um, who is a voice in cinema to be marvelled and worshipped in my opinion and um, she really reminds me of kind of Ang Lee's style of directing as well and her visuals not in a derivative way but she Eternals reminded me of Hulk in terms of which I love um, a very divisive Marvel's film um, in terms of like a really thoughtful psychological kind of um, superhero film, um, and uh, Nomadland remind me of Brokeback Mountain as well. Um, not in plot, but in in style, music. Um, uh, I agreeing everything with what Danny said about previously that it doesn't feel like a film. It, it is actually, I would argue, sort of a hybrid model for a new kind of film. It is kind of part documentary. There are act, there are people in it who are playing themselves and telling their own stories. There's a gentleman at the end who kind of create helped create the kind of um the nomad community in it and he's talking about the death of his son it's a really it's not a spoiler he's just telling a story about the death of his son it's a really really heartbreakingly moving scene and i believe i believe that's just him really talking about his real son in real life um and so the bl- boundaries are blurred very skillfully between documentary and you know like danny said you you believe that francis mcdormand does live in you know an rv and and what I loved about it was that it wasn't pitiful. It wasn't pitying of people's lives. Um, it was looked at the toughness of it and the harshness of living in that environment, but the benefits as well. And that no one was there to be pitied. It was a freeing choice and a, and a way of life that a lot of them embraced and were very happy about, even though it was tough. Um, that was fantastic. But Chloe Zhao is just kind of has this, when I say I'm flinching, I mean just she doesn't look away, but she's not cruel. It's she, she, you can tell she just loves people, and that's in Eternals as well. She loves human beings and is clearly fascinated with what makes people human and their flaws, which may sound cliche, but it's not in her hands. And, you know, what, what makes people... Um, you couldn't get two more different films. Nomadland is so tiny and small as a film and Eternals is so massive and on such a cosmic, literally scale and budget wise. And, you know, and but both the deal with this, just you can tell she's fascinated, points her camera at what people do and what motivates them and why they do bad things or wrong things and why they do right things. And she to see two of her films at that end of the scale, two ends of scale in, in one year was just a delight. But Nomadland was, it haunted me. And I tried to think of a film to choose that when I close my eyes, I can still see so many images from it. And it, it was that. And I can't talk too much more about it because it makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, very good choice. Very good choice. I'm going to go, I'm going to go next. So leave Sam till, till last to round things off. But as everyone's doing their honorable mentions, I did when coming up with my, my one choice, my one choice, uh, I did have a short list of five. So that includes uh, Minari, which hasn't been mentioned yet, uh, about a, a South Korean family who moved into the US in the 80s and try and start a farm. Um, a very beautiful film. Uh, Promising Young Woman, 
um, was one of mine. Uh, Riders of Justice, which you talked about earlier, and also another film that's not been mentioned, uh, but it's well worth watch on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's Palm Springs, which is a Groundhog Day um, esque uh, film starring Andy Samberg and uh, Christine Malotti uh, as a couple who get stuck in a time loop. But my film of the year was a film that's been briefly mentioned by Sam earlier, and it's a film unlike any that I've actually ever really seen before and it's called shiver baby and it was made for two hundred thousand dollars it's uh 78 minutes long so even shorter than killing of two lovers uh and it's it's a comedy but it's it's presented as a as like a sort of social horror film sam's making faces on the uh zoom call because <laughs> of how how cringeworthy it is. And basically it's, it's stars Rachel Sennett as a, a young woman called Danielle, who's um, is, she's going to be graduating from college soon. And she's been making money. She has a sugar daddy. So an older man who basically gives her money and they have a relationship. Um, and none of her family know that she does this. And she has to go to a shiver, which is essentially a Jewish wake. Um, with her family and she's there she doesn't know anyone and it's full of people she hasn't seen for very for such a long time who ask her how she's doing they sort of belittle unintentionally belittle her career they keep talking about how much weight she's lost and then suddenly her sugar daddy and his wife and baby daughter turn up at the uh, shiver and it's it's one of those films that just keeps ramping up the awkwardness and the cringe and it's it's literally scored like a horror movie. The score is all strings and like violins and like it's psycho and it's claustrophobic. It was filmed in one house over the summer. The cameras are all very tight on everyone. There's, there's, it's claustrophobic because there are tons of people around and it's it's very, very funny, but so awkward. And also there's her ex, she runs into her ex-girlfriend is also there. Uh, and it's just, it's it's a really good film. Yeah, like like Killing of Two Lovers, I'm sure about eight people saw because I think it was released on Mubi, uh, a streaming service uh, in the UK, and it had a very small, I think, cinema release in the US. Um, but yes, it's that's my film of the year. It's the most horrific comedy you'll ever likely see, especially if you have social anxiety. I don't think I, I rarely have I seen Sam's watched some Sam loves a horror movie. We've discussed it many times. Sam's seen some disgusting horror movies <laughs> and had absolutely zero reaction. And yet we watched Shiver Baby and I've never seen a person try and curl up into herself more than a person <laughs> has ever done that. I love you your to definition. disappear into the sofa. Social horror, like a new genre. What a brilliant name for a genre. That is fantastic. <laughs> That's all I can like describe it as. It's great. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a great film. Um yes, that's my film of the year, Shiver Baby. Uh, it's first time director, written written and directed by Emma Seligman. So uh yeah, that's my pick. Sam, round us off the final uh best picture of the year. Go for it. Okay, well, um, I have a couple of honourable mentions before my my best picture pick. Uh, so I've already gushed about it. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Um, I don't need to say anything else. It was just, yeah, it was like, a, well, it was a light, as I've already said. I can't say it enough. Um, then I've also picked Shiver Baby as well, because, 
yeah, I like a horror movie, but yeah, I think social horror is the my most scariest form of horror movie, it turns out. <laughs> um, I would also put in this category, which it didn't come out this year, but uh, Yes, God, Yes, um, which also was just cringe as heck um, because it's all very teenage coming of age and awkward and ah, uh, I can't. That's on Netflix for anyone who wants to. Yeah. Um, starring Chris, help me out. Oh, don't put me on the spot. Natalia Dyer from Stranger Things. There you thank go. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, and she plays Nancy in Stranger Things. Yes. She was, she was brilliant in it. And yeah, it, but that's not a film from this year. No, What's your film from this but year? I'm like, I'm getting all the cringe memories. Thank you uh, for, <laughs> for reminding me so so much of it. Okay, so my film of the year uh, is Promising Young Women, starring as as I've mentioned earlier, Carrie, uh, Carrie Mulligan and also uh, Bo Burnham is there uh, playing her her partner, and. Yeah, it's just, it's about, um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's about uh, Carrie Mulligan's character, her friend, uh, was killed. And as, you know, is so many stories in real life of women who are murdered and the men who do it get away with it. Uh, So it rings true so painfully. it, to to many many real life stories i'm sure you know this could have been based on one story it could have been drawn from hundreds thousands of others um and yeah it's as 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 tim was saying as well about how you know though the the movie that still sits with you and i think a few of everyone i think has said you know it's not a movie that has haunted us uh having watched it and I would definitely say that this did that, um, except for it was also excellent in a horrible way because the story is horrific, but the cinematic, the the shooting, the um, yeah, the I'm not saying the correct phrases for <laughs> for it, it's also very funny in places. Yeah, that's what it's what makes it so uncomfortable. I think. Yeah, is I, that it's telling this dark story, but. In some places, it's laugh out loud hilarious. I thought the tonal swerves on it were masterstroke. I mean, tonal swerves can be a usually 90% of the time a criticism of a film. And there's 10% of films that absolutely, um, like Dust Till Dawn or something, you know, that knock it into the ballpark. And just, it's like a, it plays, it, it leads you down the path of this is a romantic comedy. And that even though I know mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like it based on what Sam said, I'm not saying that in any disrespect way. Oh, it's a romantic comedy, but it, it leads you down no, that path. Yeah, I agree. And then it's kind of, then it's like, you're just totally at its mercy, that film. Where's this taking me, you know? Well, in terms of best actor, uh, Bo Burnham was actually on my sort of short list of best actors because I, I think he, because Carrie Mulligan was nominated for uh, an Oscar for for her role. But actually, I think um, in a supporting role, Bo Burnham, who's who's generally known as a, a stand-up comedian and and like singer-songwriter, he's he's done he does like musical comedy generally. Um, but he was very good in this, and it also I don't want to I don't want to spoil it. I know it came out even longer ago than than James Bond, but actually fewer people probably would have seen it. The ending is a real surprise. 
um it it does it does not go the way that you think yeah like 90% of movies would um you think oh this is going to go a certain way but by the time you get to the end i felt there was no genre reference points for me like i didn't think i know this is going to be i know who's going to survive what's going to happen you know there were no because i didn't know whether it was a romantic comedy at one point or like you said funny or a horror I, i i had no genre reference so i was lost without a map by the end completely in the best way yeah, yeah. exactly yeah so if you haven't seen it i would highly recommend it absolutely well there you go we have our final list for best picture nominees they are well I'm going to narrow Danny's down for him because he talks so he talks so uh, lovingly about the killing of two lovers. Um, I'm going to go for that, and it just sounds like a really interesting film. So we've got the killing of two lovers. We have the last jewel, Nomadland, Shiver Baby, and Promising Young Woman. And there ends the St Albans Film Guide uh, End of Year Awards 2021. Um, thank you very much. Um, I believe this is the last uh, podcast of of the of the year, and so we'll see you again all in the new year, and see you obviously you know a year from now when we do the best of twenty twenty two. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll be there. Probably worth mentioning. Yeah, the the film guide will be back uh, the first week of January with with Howard in the chair um, for that one. That doesn't mean he's buying drinks. I could see the sweat forming on his brow just then. But Howard will be hosting. Phew, that's a relief. Yeah. Goodness me. <laughs> But yeah, have a so great thanks holidays, everyone. everyone. Have a great holidays. Yeah, sorry, still talking over here, Tim. So uh, anyway, thanks everyone for uh, for and and for Tim as well. Thank you for Tim being the newest member of the team um, for doing this. Uh, and uh, yeah, the film guide will continue uh, with each of the hosts taking their turns uh, each week. And uh, and yes, yes, as Tim said there um, so eloquently, if not interruptingly, um, you know, have a great holiday, everyone. Tim, final words. Have a great holidays, everyone. And watch, um, what's it called? Kid, what was it called? The Sean Connery one? Operation Kid Brother. Operation Kid Brother. If you've taken anything away from today, that's the one to watch. Neil Connery. He gets overlooked. Yeah, we'll see you again in the new year. Bye. Bye. 